You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tonight's sermon text comes from Psalm 45. To the choir master, according to lilies, a mascal of the sons of Korah, a love song. My heart overflows with a pleasing theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. You are the most handsome of the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one, in your splendor and majesty. In your majesty, ride out victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome deeds. Your arrows are sharp and the people in the heart of the king's enemies, the peoples fall under you. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From ivory palaces, stringed instruments make you glad. Daughters of kings are among your ladies of honor. At your right hand stands the queen in gold of Ophir. Hear, O daughter, and consider, and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house, and the king will desire your beauty. Since he is your Lord, bow to him. The people of Tyre will seek your favor with gifts, the riches of people. All glorious is the princess in her chamber, with robes interwoven with gold. In many colored robes, she is led to the king, with her virgin companions following behind her. With joy and gladness, they are led along as they enter the palace of the king. In place of your fathers shall be your sons. You will make them princes in all the earth. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, nations will praise you forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. Oh, we can do a little better than that. Good evening. That's good. That's good. This outside thing, it's, uh, it's definitely a phenomenon. Um, I see in some of your eyes, you guys have been eyeing your neighbor's chair. We even I got grandpappy's rocker chair over there. And uh, don't covet. I know some people have better uh, chairs than you. You're wondering where your seven cup holders are, why your chair didn't come with a sunshade, um, a foot holder, or, you know, I mean, I don't know, a mini fridge. And it's because you bought your chair for $8.99. It's not going to come with that. Or, you know, this actually isn't my first time. You know, I, I, I've preached outside before, and it's not my first time to look out and see uh, sunglasses on everybody. I, uh, what happens is, like, people, they might get engaged in, like, October, and they start thinking about, man, we could do a wedding. And they start looking at venues, and they think, man, we could do a wedding outside. And it's October, so they forget about heat and humidity. And then they plan uh, their wedding for August outside. And so then everyone has sunscreen in their eyes. And so this is where, this is where we are for the foreseeable future. Um, man, First Southern uh, Baptist Church, they are so gracious with us. They have said whatever we need. And part of it is why we're outside, we'll be gauging numbers and looking at what it looks like to move inside um, and numbers of services and all of that. And we'll be looking for feedback. But we can come together 
and circle up the cars, if you will, uh, circle up the wagons, and we can take a moment to set aside our time to come together, to look at the scriptures, say, Lord, what do you have for me? What do you have for me? And if you've been with us for, for the last couple of weeks, like what happened was we had Psalms 42 and 43. In Psalms 42 and 43, if we could just summarize it, it's going to say this, Lord, can you help me? At one point, the psalmist, he starts to address his own soul and he says, you know, soul within me, hope in God. But the cry is an individual cry. God, can you help me? And then last week, uh, Psalm 44, you know, Spencer preached and it was this, God, can you help us? And so in, in the question of God, can you help me? Or in the question, God, can you help us? And we need to be ready to answer, like, call out for this because we're in an election year, people. God, can you help me? Can you help us? And the answer to can you help me and can you help us is Psalms 45. It is a wedding. But it's not like any other wedding that we've seen. What happens is what we're starting to see, like if we just look at this structure, like we see what it's called a chiastic structure. And typically when uh, preachers talk about a chiasm or a chiastic structure or when books talk about it, like commentaries, I typically kind of roll my eyes because I don't always think it's super helpful. But the way a chiasm work, it works is it's almost like a V format. And so like in here, like verse one coordinates with verse 17 and then verse two coordinates with verses like 14, 15, and 16. And it moves all the way down to the central message of the text. And so if we look at this, what we see, like, let's just start with the title. So before we get into the text, it says this, it says, your throne, O God. Your throne, O God, is forever. And then we have these instructions to the choir master, according to the lilies, a maskil of the songs of Korah, a love song. And so that's, that's a lot. Like, that's a lot. And I just want to unpack it just a little bit. I'm not going to do it in order. But so, like, look at the phrase. To the choir master, according to the lilies. And so this is, this is instruction on how do you play this song. And so it says, hey, song leader, you got to put this in the key of lily. Now, that, that word that's translated as lily, like, it's kind of been lost in time. But most commentaries agree that I think it's some sort of lily, some sort of flower. But that's supposed to, like, it's, it's almost like saying this. Like, it's how the song's supposed to be played. And listen, if you think of this, like, a song is to be played to resemble a lily. Like, it's not like death metal. You know, like, I, doing student ministry, I had um, some students, and one of I had a group of students, and they were in a band. I was never in a band. I never got to say, Mom, the band's coming over. I mean, I was never in a band. And they were in a screamo band. <clears throat> and uh, if you were in a screamo band, that's, that's awesome. I mean, that's awesome, you know. Um, but so they had a concert, and they were a Christian screamo band. And so they had a concert, and they said, hey, will you come to our Christian screamo band concert? And I said, of course I will, because it's my job. I have to. I'm your youth pastor. And so we, we went and, and we got there and Kinsey and I were there. And man, it was just so funny to me because, you know, they kind of talked before and they'd be like, hey, this next song we like to call forgiveness. And then they'd pause and be like, raw, raw, raw. And then they'd get through that song and then they'd be like, uh, this next song we call redemption. 
and like duh, 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 rah, rah, rah. And I was like it's just one song the key of lily doesn't sound like that but then it goes on actually if we look at this key of lily if you look at the end of the title it says it's a love song like it's written and it was certainly used as a wedding song. And it's in the vein of like, if you read it, it looks kind of like the song of Solomon, you know, Solomon's songs. And so you can almost picture in David's courts, you know, they come around and they start seeing this. And young Solomon is like, man, I can do way better than that. You know, it kind of takes from jazz, to like R&B, but like right here, like it's a love song. But if you, if you look back, it, it describes it. It says it's a mascal, which means wisdom. And so the last two weeks, the songs have been mascals, which means wisdom. That means it's here to instruct. And so this tells us that this is a love song to make us wise to something. Psalms 45 is a love song to make us wise about something. And then you see this, and this isn't a boy band name. I don't know what it is. It's written by the sons of Korah. Like, and it's actually not as sexy as it sounds because Korah, it comes from Croc. It means baldy. So this is the sons of baldy. My kids could have written this and they would be grounded. (laughs) And so like all of this is building, it's telling us how to play it. It tells us that it's a love song, kind of gives us the feel. We see it in the Song of Solomon. So this could be written by one person addressing first the groom and then addressing the bride. Or it could be a duet where just like the Song of Solomon, she speaks about him and then he speaks about her. But it tells us that this love song is to make us to be wise. And just knowing this, that it's the sons or the descendants of Korah, it tells you it's written by people in line that have been redeemed. If you read number 16, this is the first time you see Korah mentioned. And he led a revolt against Moses and Aaron. And God opened up the ground and swallowed him and 250 leaders. Like you wouldn't just want to say, yes, I'm a descendant of that guy. But they're saying, I am from a broken line, a broken family with all kinds of issues. And I bring a love song to enlighten you about something which then it gets to the very first, the heading. The very first line, this is the title. A love song written in the key of Lily by the sons of Baldy. And this is the title. Your throne, O God, is forever. And it's not just there at the title. It's at the very middle of this. As it moves in and gets closer to what it wants to exclaim, it finally comes out and it says, this love song, and we're looking at this royal wedding, it's actually about God's forever, always faithful, never dipping or going away, is never going to be counted out because the economy is bad or because there's sickness out there or whatever, that his love is always and forever, always faithful always faithful. And so let me just, let's just do a little overview on this really fast. And it's going to be really, really quick. I just kind of want to show you the, the, the V uh, chiastic structure because it's fancy. So here we go. Verse one and verse 17, the narrator, he, he or her, they talk about their purpose or condition. Look at verse one. It says, my heart overflows. This is why This is why he or she is writing this. Something is inside and just wants to come out. And then verse 17, it says, I will cause your name to be remembered. That's their intent. 
I can't contain it in about this always forever love about God and I will cause this God's name to be remained forever. And then look at verse two, we come in one section. Verse two and then verse 13 and 16, it's the groom and the bride and they are described beautifully. So this is very Song of Songs. It says, most handsome are you, the sons of men, in verse two. And then verse 13, it says, all glorious is the princess in her chamber. It's describing their beauty. And then we come in another level, getting closer together. And we see in verse three, and then verse 10 and 12, they, they command both the groom and the bride. It says, gird your sword, ride out victoriously. And then on the bride, in verse 10, it says, hear, O daughter, consider incline, forget your people. And then we come in a little bit closer and we have verse six and we have verse eight, or no, I'm sorry, verse five and verse nine. And it speaks about the victory of the king. It says in verse five, the peoples fall under you, the conquering king. And then in verse nine, it says, the daughters of the king, um, they are the ladies of honor. And then we come in even closer to the central point in verse six and eight, and it talks about the appearance of his reign. And so in verse six, it says, your throne is forever. The scepter of your kingdom, it is upright. And then in verse eight, it says, your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes. And so these similar structures moving in, and then we get to verse seven, the center point of the chiastic structure. This is what it's about. We've already seen kind of this thing. What is this about? For the forever reign of God. It's talking about this romantic relationship. It's talking about marriage and this union. But all of a sudden it says, this is actually about like the forever reign of God. And then look at this. This is what the forever reign of God looks like. This is what the Messiah is gonna look like. It says, verse seven, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. If you saw that word anointed, the anointed one of God, it's where we get the same word for Messiah. And so as the structure moves in, it gets to the center of it and that becomes the title of it, the forever faithful reign of God. And the psalmist was looking forward to it, but at its center, the psalm is telling us that a coming king will be the Messiah, the anointed one of God who will love righteousness and hate wickedness and his forever certain victorious rule will find gladness beyond comparison. If you miss anything, I just want you to hear this, that the psalmist, when he's looking at this royal wedding and they're trying to describe it, all of a sudden they get caught up in this and they're saying, there is something more here. And then it talks about this coming Messiah who's gonna be like a groom who comes to elevate the women of the conquered people to bring him into his household that they might have I mean, it says princes to extend the rule of God. See, the heart of Psalms 45 is a love song to make you wise about the forever reign of God's Messiah, the anointed one to save who's coming like a groom on his wedding day. And his name is King Jesus. You know, C.S. Lewis in his um, kind of prayers through the Psalms, kind of devotions through the Psalms, he talks about this. He says, within the Psalms, there's always a second meaning. Meaning there's a meaning on the surface, but there's a second meaning. And we see that in the New Testament where really consistently, 
like they quote something from the Psalms. It's like as a prophecy talking about the nature of Jesus, what he would be like. And if you have any doubts that this is pointing forward, then consider this. Hebrews 1, 8, 9 quotes this to talk about Jesus. In Hebrews 1, 8, 9, it says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your righteousness is the scepter of your kingdoms. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And so, the writer of Hebrews, when it wanted to describe what Jesus, the coming Messiah, the at that point present Messiah was like, it said, man, you look back at Psalms 45 and he is like this coming king who's going to set up a forever reign and he's going to love righteousness and hate wickedness and he's going to bring gladness to the heart of his people. And those who were captive, those who have been set free, if they will renounce their people and turn to Jesus, they will be forever united with him. This points forward. Now we're going to do this, this fairly quickly. We're going to look at, I just have two points for you. And I know when I say I just have two points, you're like, yeah, one's going to be really, really long. And it is, it's going to be long, okay? But I've got two points for you. And, and so one, we're going to look at Jesus. And we're just going to ask this question based on this, like what is he going to be like? What is King Jesus going to be like? And then the second thing is we're going to look at us, the bride, the church, and we're going to ask this question, what must we do? What is King Jesus like? What must we do? And so here we go. First, Jesus. What is King Jesus like? In verses one through nine, it tells us what the Messiah of God will be like. And so I already mentioned, this can either be sung as like one person singing to the groom and then singing to the bride, or it could be a duet. Now there's a, there's a, Kinsey's family, they're all musical and they can all sing. And so every time we have a, a thing, like 4th of July or something, we have a thing, the karaoke stuff comes out and everyone sings. And I think they rehearse and practice for it. And then it's like, everyone has to participate. And I have a rule because I, I don't want to be punked. Like I will not volunteer for anything, but if they ask me, I will not turn anything down. And so now the, the fun thing is they always want me to do a love song duet with her brother, Ty, who's really good at singing, but he sang at our wedding and only got three words out and then cried the rest of the song. And they didn't fade it out. I mean, he tried to come back in and then just would fall apart and cry again. And we just, we, we were with it for three and a half minutes. So we, we, we sing these duets where like he starts off and it sounds good and sexy and he can sing, right, right? And then it's my part and it doesn't sound good. And it's not on pitch, but we keep going all the way through. We come together, you know, it's, it's typical Disney stuff. And so well, however you want to picture it, you can. But look, in verse one, it narrates how the psalm feels about this union. And this is what it says. It says, my heart overflows with a pleasing theme. The, the word overflows, it's used to describe something boiling. And so if you've ever boiled water, you turn it on, nothing happens for a long time. And then all of a sudden it reaches a moment and it explodes and it overflows. And listen, that is how meditating on the scriptures works a lot. You come morning after morning and you meditate upon the scriptures. And if you're not in our Bible reading plan, shame on you. Just smile at me. I'll believe you're in it. You should be in it. You should read the Bible. Like meditating upon it. And then every once in a while, these themes connect and you feel like God speaks directly to you through wherever you are and it overflows. And so he says, this is, I'm looking at this wedding 
but something is overflowing within me. And so then verse one, it goes on and says, I address my verses to the king. And then this, it says, uh, my tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. And so what he's saying is like, I have been looking at these things. Like when it says ready scribe, it would point us to the scriptures. I have been looking at all these ideas and I'm about to like write some verses. I'm about to like lay it all out. I'm about to tell you what I think about this. And man, I really think, like it didn't tell us what he's what he's looking at or, you know, what he was reading, you know, whether it's in Isaiah, but for him to go all in on the Messiah and say his forever reign and he's going to be before us. I, I just, I want to believe that he was looking at the, the crimson thread of the gospel that is from Genesis to Revelation, starting in Genesis three with the proto-evangelion after the fall happens, the curse is there. And what we see is God comes down and he talks to Adam and Eve and he looks at her and he says, from you, from your line, a boy will be born and he will crush Satan. Now that, that's, where, that's where the thread started. That's pretty broad. Like there's going to be a boy born and he's going to crush Satan. Let's look for that guy, all right? But then it gets more narrow as we move on in the Pentateuch. And all of a sudden, it's not just from any woman. It's from someone in the line of Abraham. And then it gets even more narrow, not just from Abraham, but from the line of David. And then it gets even more specific. And that person will be born in Bethlehem. And then it gets even more specific because that boy will be born of a virgin, which narrows the pool a little bit. And so you see this line, this crimson thread pulled through the scriptures. And it's almost like he's looking at this and he says, man, that just, I'm, it, I'm overflowed with this. I'm boiling over. And then verse two, it says, you are the most handsome of the sons of men. Grace is upon you. So we're looking at the groom and he says, there's something about you. And this is very Song of Solomon. And so we just read that not too long ago in the Bible reading plan. And I love it when we get the song of Solomon in the Bible reading plan. Kinsey probably hates it because I always say things like, babe, would you say my legs are like alabaster columns? And she'll be like, well, they are pretty white. I'm like, are these things rods of gold? Um, and so she gets annoyed with that, but it's biblical. But here when it says you are the most handsome of men, it doesn't go on to describe his appearance. Look at what it describes. Grace is poured upon your lips. The thing about this groom that is so different is it steps in and what's dripping off his lips is grace. And when we look forward to the person of Jesus, the thing that stood out to him was when he stepped toward the tax collector or, or the prostitute, he didn't just come with the law to say, you know, you shouldn't be like sleeping around. He came with grace. And if we open that up, like we see all through the scriptures, what that grace on the lips will do, it will speak peace. Psalms 85, 8. It says that he, the Messiah, will come to speak peace to his people. And again, Zechariah 9.10, it says that he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, from the rivers to the end of the earth. <clears throat> and the danger is, let me, let me take a drink from my super teacher cup. Uh, my mother-in-law sent it to us when we had to homeschool the end of last year. And I was like, well, I'll keep that. <clears throat> When it comes, if you grew up in church, 
and you grew up seeing things like, you know, Jesus loves the little children, you can be in danger of forgetting and not realizing just how strange it is that a perfectly righteous king who has perfect justice doesn't come to condemn, but comes to speak peace as grace drips off his lips. The psalmist, he's overflowing with the promises of the coming Messiah who will come with grace on his lips. And then look at verse three. This movement causes the singer to command victory. Um, And so look at it, like seeing what this king is gonna be like, that he's gonna have grace on his lips. Look at what he does. He just starts to command him. He says, gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one, in your splendor and majesty. In your majesty, ride out victorious for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach your awesome deeds. Now, this is, uh, this is like when you watch a, a scary movie. I mean, you were Christians, we shouldn't. But if you ever have, like you're watching like a scary movie and the main person, they hear like a, a creak behind the door or like, you know, some sort of like, uh, and they think, man, I ought to go check that out. Even though the house already said, get out, you know, and like, I think I'll stay. And so what happens in you is you're like, no, 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 you are smart enough. And you have the ability is you say, no, Run. You start to command them, don't go in there, run. Because you look at them, you have the sense and you have the ability, act in accordance with your sense and your ability. And this, on the opposite side, is saying because of your righteousness, because of your reign, because of the the grace that is upon your lips, ride in victory. You see, when Jesus touched the broken lives around him, He was acting according to the character of God. When Jesus calmed the raging seas and cast out demons and healed the sick, he was acting out of his divine ability. Jesus will come to show us what God is like. He came to show us what he's like. He came to show us what he could do. In the moment of the boiling point of his heart, he saw what this Messiah was like prophetically, and he calls out, do this gird your sword, ride out victoriously, let your right hand teach. And then look at verse five. In verse five, the psalmist's vision of this coming king just kind of takes him, and you don't really see it, but it says, your arrows are sharp in the hearts of the king's enemies. The people fall under you. You know, the the translators kind of help you smooth this out because it actually doesn't go in that order. What it actually says is your arrows are sharp, people fall. And then it says, all the hearts of the king's enemies. And so he just, it's like he got so excited. He's like, hey, you always hit the mark and people just die everywhere. No enemy can stand against you. And so starting to bring this together, overflowing with the promises of the coming Messiah who will come to speak grace to us, whom no enemy can stand against, Now, this is no normal kingly reign because this reign will last forever and ever. Look at verse six. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of righteousness. Now, listen, picture Jesus just like Hebrews, the author of Hebrews did. 
the author of Hebrews, when he's starting his letter, he says, you want to know what Jesus is like? And then he quotes her. So picture Jesus. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you, the same word translated as Messiah, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes. And it just goes on and on. Jesus is the promised Messiah King of whom no enemy can stand against. But he didn't come to crush his enemies, but to speak grace to them. In verse nine, it says this. And it, at first, when I first read, I just didn't see this, but look at verse nine. It says, daughters of kings, not daughter of kings, daughters of kings. And so we have this one king, King Jesus, and then we have all these other kings. Daughters of kings, aka the conquered kings, are among your ladies of honor. At your right hand stand the queen in the gold of Ophir. And so it says, listen, within your courts were all these ladies who were once enemy combatant kings. They were once enemies of the God, but now they're in your courts. And if you missed it, look back at verse six and seven. It doesn't say, O king, may God establish your throne. It says, look at it, it says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Verse seven, therefore God, your God, has anointed you. In this moment, as we get to the center point, and maybe it's just the creativity flowing through the spirit of God, all of a sudden it changes from what's before him, this, this bride and this groom. And he says, no, there's a king that is different. And he says, therefore God, your God. And so don't miss that. Therefore, God, and now I want to talk about your God. And so all of a sudden we start to see the idea of the Trinity unfold. And so Jesus talks like this, you know, Jesus in Matthew 22. And so in the Bible reading plan, I love plugging the Bible reading plan. In the Bible reading plan, we just finished Matthew. And so the end of it, Jesus uses this in verse 22, in verse 43 through 45, he turns and he asks them, how is it written? And so he says, how is it written that David in the spirit... And so he says, listen, David was talking and it was in the spirit, inspired by the spirit of God, which we know is the Holy Spirit. And that's just unfolding for everyone. So how is it written that David in the spirit calls him Lord saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under his feet. And then he goes on to say, if David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And so in the same vein, Psalms 45, in the same exact vein, we see this prophetic nature of the spirit of God that says, listen, you God, you're God. And now it took the church a long time to figure this out. Like they're trying to describe the nature of Jesus and they're like, man, he's like God. We talked about God, the father also. And so they didn't, I don't think the Psalms just put it all together, but he just saw this, this king is God and yet he's got a God. And so it gets to the very center point of this. In the spirit, the psalmist is seeing this coming Messiah who is the eternal God King who will come with a message of grace. You see, the sons of Korah, they started to write beautiful music because they saw a vision of this coming Messiah and we know his name is Jesus. Look what they say about him. What do you say about him? See, we have the benefit of eyewitnesses in the scripture that said, hey, this is what Jesus said. This is what he did. This is what he was like. And then he died and he rose again. And they're just there. They're witnesses to tell us, 
what do you think about Jesus? See, as this is unfolding, and this, this part goes really, really fast, we see all these things unfold about what this king is going to be like. Like the character and the message of this coming Messiah, and he calls him, oh God. And so that's what Jesus is like. He's this promised Messiah who's going to come and he's going to be kingly and he's going to have grace dripping off his lips. And if you turn, and this gets to our point, what about us? That's what Jesus is like. What about us? And so what must the bride do? And very, very easily, look at verse nine. Remember verse nine, it says that these daughters of these conquered enemy kings are included in his courts. That's us, if you're a Christian but it tells you what you have to do. If you want to be united with this Messiah, with this King, it tells you what you have to do. Look at verse 10. Hear, O daughter, and consider and incline your ear. And so like, just stop there for a second. Like the prophetic nature of this, like even looking ahead to us, hear, incline your ear, listen, consider, and then look what it, what it does. If you want to be united with this King Jesus, forget your people and your father's house and the king will desire your beauty since he is your Lord, bow to him. Forsake your people. Now, now that, doesn't, that doesn't mean this. That doesn't mean everyone's going to have to like leave their people and never talk to their people again. But it means this pull upon your allegiance that there has to be a repenting of like, this is what once defined me. I was just like these people. This is like the Psalms 1. You know, Psalms 1, what defines it? He doesn't, you know, walk or sit in the counsel of the evil men and wicked. But all of a sudden there's a defining nature that pulls him away. It says, forget your people in your father's house. There is one category that describes Christians. I was once a sinner, but now I am saved by the message of grace about what Jesus has done for me. This is something that everyone must do to be united with Jesus. And if you're a Christian, this is something that every Christian must do daily. Forsaking former allegiances, Christians... Now, listen to this. You are not a conservative than a Christian. Christians, you are not a progressive and then a Christian. You are not defined by like mass compliance or non-compliance before your Christianity. The constituents of your nation, political party, race, gender, and sexuality cannot lead you. King Jesus can lead you. The message is if you forget your people, your competing constituents, and you turn to Jesus, he will not turn you away. It says he will desire you. You know, this, this reminds me of what Psalms 51 verse 17 says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart. 
or, or Isaiah 42, verse 3, it says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a faint burning wick he will not quench. Or, or a Philippians 3, when Paul tells the church what to do, what he's done, he says, I forget what lies behind me, and I strain forward to what lies ahead. And then he says, the mature in their faith will think like this. Do you know what your competing allegiances are? If someone looked at your social media feed, would they know? See, the, the nature of this is not whether the nature of those things are good or bad things. The nature is what do you hang on to when those things cross? See, some things in, in life, they run parallel, but everything will cross against. Like family is such a good thing. Family can become idolatrous. At some point when those things cross, what will you hang on to, Jesus or your former constituents? In verses 12 through 17, it just starts to describe, and, and listen, I don't know if you're a student of history, it's not common for a conquered people for their women to be treated well. But for those who are forsake their constituents and turn to Jesus, listen to how it describes them. The people of Tyre will seek your favor with gifts, the riches of the people. All glorious is the princess in her chamber with robes interwoven with gold. In many colored robes, she is led to the king with her virgin companions following behind her. With joy and gladness, they are led along as they enter the palace of the king in the place of your fathers shall be your sons. You will make them princes in all of the earth. I will cause your name to be remembered in all the generations. Therefore, nations will praise you forever and ever. It says repentance leads to joy. And then Psalms 45, it gives us a picture of Jesus, our Messiah King. Psalms 45 gives us a picture of the church, repentant enemies, now proclaiming the name of Jesus in all of the earth before all other allegiances. And this is just what I want to ask. In the same way, like this is, this is a wedding song, a royal wedding, and like, we'd be all like geared up and we'd be all looking good. It'd be outside weddings. So we'd have sunscreen in our eyes, but it'd be worth it because we want to celebrate what is before us and we want to be excited about it. What captures your heart? In the same way that Jesus said, David speaking from the spirit, I believe Psalms 45, speaking from the Spirit, says there's a coming king whose reign will be forever and ever. And if you turn from your former people, your former allegiances, if you repent, he will never forsake you. Do you know that Jesus? Let me pray for us.